Hey guys, I'm Nick here with Tanner and Zach, and thanks for tuning into the Voyager Way, a podcast dedicated to sharing our passion for everything outdoors with listeners just like you. Whether it's talking about incredible trips we've been on, teaching you the best way to get your own adventure started, or talking with amazing guests about the incredible things they've done or places they've been. You can find it all here on the Voyager Way. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Voyager Way podcast. If you've seen the last few posts on our Instagram account, you probably have a pretty good idea of how absolutely incredible our next guest is. The expeditions that this man has been a part of are truly legendary. He has coordinated multiple multi-month-long expeditions through the U.S. and many through Canada. He was also a guide on numerous slave voyager expeditions and has done extensive work with multiple wilderness therapy organizations, using the outdoors to make a lasting impact in an incredible number of kids' and young adults' lives. This man has graciously agreed to appear on multiple podcast episodes so we can do all of his amazing adventures justice. So today, we talked with him about his eight-month-long canoe expedition from the Gulf of Mexico all the way up to the Arctic Ocean. His name is Winchell Delano, and we are incredibly grateful he agreed to jump on the podcast with us today to talk about his Rediscover North America expedition. We hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Thanks, guys. Okay, Winchell, thanks for thanks for joining us again. How is uh, how's your night going so far? Like I was saying, we um, we had a pretty ambitious painting project with this new house. So we are we're sitting in the office where you did the same interview with Mary, um, and she's like, I don't think they're gonna notice, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't either, but from the insider <laughs> perspective, we're pretty we're pretty happy with how it turned out. Yeah, nice. I know how that people guys... listening can't see it, so it's probably not yeah. that important. How long have you guys been in that house now? We closed on October eighth, so okay. solid three months. Um, nice. Yeah, it's been really nice during uh, the COVID times to have like work to really focus on, and then to come home and have the house to focus on to kind of ignore the lack of. Uh, you know, socializing we'd be doing yeah. otherwise. So it's quite the timely like project to have. Yeah. Nice. Um, and so just to kind of start off this, this podcast here, I know, um, cause you mentioned your work, are you still involved in that wilderness therapy, um, type setting? Is that kind of, um, what you're up to right now? Yeah. So the place that I'm working now is a residential and wilderness therapy hybrid. So our folks are on a, like a colonial farm campus for three days a week. And then they go on um, like wilderness excursions Thursday through Sunday. So uh, we'll go, you know, hiking in the Adirondacks or we'll go paddle on uh, the Connecticut river, go hiking, paddling, any of the things that like you would normally do just like to enjoy the outdoors. Um, but then we come back to yeah. the residential setting for three days a week. So it hopes to mimic that, like, like workplace, school, whatever, you know, front country setting and then challenge folks yeah. in the back country too. So do you do mainly the back country or the front country or both of those? When I started, I did only the excursion. So I used to come in on Wednesdays and come home on Sundays. Um, but then I'd have like nine days off. Um, but yep. then recently, um, within the last year, I took more of a administrative position. So I still have my hand on the, I guess my hand on the throttle a little bit when it comes to the wilderness excursions, cause I plan them, but every, yep. like, and every so often I'll like hop on for something. But, um, like for instance, next week, we're going to go skiing for a couple of times at some of the Vermont nice. resorts. So I'll go skiing with folks, but um, other than that, I, I plan and I delegate and then I work mostly on just like programming stuff for the company. Cool. Um, and so kind of just to getting into, we're definitely going to talk. I think this, this first podcast would be awesome to kind of hit on your, your rediscover North America trip. Um, but just kind of moving back a little bit, how did, we were kind of wondering how you got into all this like outdoor, like wilderness, canoeing, camping, all that kind of stuff. Cause for, um, my brother and I, like the first time we ever slept in a tent was on our first Voyager trip. Um, but like for Zach, like his dad and his family has been going up to the boundary waters and doing all that kind of stuff for like, for how, whatever, as long, like as long as he can remember. So did, did this kind of passion for you start with the Voyager program or was it earlier than that? The, the LVI program was actually the second trip that I went on um, 
you know, traditionally when you're a sophomore, you do it as a, like the male participants do it between their sophomore and junior year, but um, SPPM. So are you both uh, John 23rd? That's what, did you go for we were, yeah. S- we were both SPPM. Wait, where, where'd you go? We are both SPPM. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, one of the teachers there, like very similar to how like the LVI connection had it where um, Fred was teaching at Cathedral and running that. Um, John Ellenbecker was a science teacher and he took people yeah. on a 12 day canoe trip um, every summer. Okay. Um, super small scale. It was um, yeah. Minnesota side of the Boundary Waters. Uh, you weren't traveling very far. I remember being pretty miserable, but I actually don't remember it very much. <laughs> um, okay. I, I hardly remember anything about it, to be honest. But I think uh, I think LVI was the first exposure I had to those type of trips. And then, you know, um, my like a week in, I remember just like making it a goal to be a guide because I really looked up to we had a solo guide my first year because of uh, an illness, okay. actually, like an impromptu illness. And then our guide had to cover for another crew. Um, so yeah, Eric Hennon was um, a very early role model of mine. And um, we were, we, yeah, we, we were not a model Voyager crew, but he was like <laughs> a model guide and did his best. And, you know, his best was still a little bit short of the mark when it came to like wrangling us in. But, um, but I really looked up to him. And I think that what I also yeah. picked up at an early age, my parents are, they're not really outdoorsy, but they're big into hunting. Yep. And so I think I gained an appreciate, like an appreciation for the austerity of the outdoors. Cause I, you know, I went, I went black bear hunting with my dad for like five days and all you do is sit in a mosquito tarp and get eaten by no because they give you a mosquito <laughs> tarp, like yeah. even though you're <laughs> in no country. And he was like, if you ruin this for me, like it's going to be a big deal. So just like can't move for five days. Yeah. Yep. And so <laughs> the same thing, just kind of on like, you know, I remember one of the portage trails, like sitting back to back with my buddy, Brian, just like during the rain, like for a few hours waiting for the rest of the double portagers to finish. We just like sat back to back in the rain because that's all we could really do in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> you look back and, and like I said, it's, it's an appreciation for the austerity and, um, you know, LVI and like the, the Voyager program, like they, they give you that in spades. So yeah um that's where i think i got it from an earlier age so what about like canoeing and just being on the water um is so appealing to you as opposed to like doing an extended hiking trip or something along those lines is it kind of just because that's what you've had most of your experiences with or is there a specific reason that it kind of draws you to that i really don't get hiking hiking is portaging you know what i mean so like (laughs) I, i never really understood it (laughs) <laughs> and and then like you hike away typically from like water sources which like should be taking you somewhere not yeah. like being a logistical constraint so i I, yeah. I don't get hiking in the abstract but um but i think canoeing for me i'm not even like i wouldn't even describe myself as like really into canoeing which is probably funny for people to hear <laughs> but so so many people who you know share an affinity for the same type of stuff are always like talking to me about canoeing and i'm like yeah canoeing is cool uh the the thing i like most about canoeing though is like there's there's an appropriate pace at which you move and see things yeah and the destinations provide like the kind of isolation i want to so that like i think if you're walking you're moving too slow and if you're driving or flying or biking, you're moving too fast. Yeah. Like, I just think canoeing is like the perfect speed to like observe, experience, like practice mindfulness, but also like be engaged in real physical activity. Plus the diversity of like canoeing when it comes to like flat water, upstream, downstream, like yeah. Ice. It's, it's got <laughs> it all. So I, I think as far as, um, like the means of transportation, I would call it. Cause yeah. I, I do look at it like that practically and I'm less into the art. I remember, you know, being taught how to paddle and it was just like, you know, like a feather and it's this delicate, beautiful artsy motion. And I'm just like <laughs> pouring over maps and I'm like, I really want to see this Island cause yeah. that topography looks really stark and it looks like a cliff. And they're like, well, you know, trying to ex- explain some of the finer points, but I'm, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. goal oriented when it comes to it. So it's like, Obviously, you know, I find moments of appreciation, but like, there's also a pretty like 
practical element to the whole thing for me anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And so just to kind of give the listeners a little, just kind of a brief overview of some of the bigger expeditions that you've been on. I know um, you had the, the, the trans Canadian and then obviously the rediscover North American, and then probably a lot of Voyager trips in there too. Was there any, anything else that were kind of bigger trips that you've done? Uh, so I was a participant for one year and then the next year I didn't want to do the far North trip because it wasn't the exact like group of people I wanted to go with. And they yeah. were going to do, um, they weren't even going to do like a Hudson Bay trip. They were going to do uh, in the same like field area, so to speak, that Voyagers goes in, but a little farther North. And okay. it just wasn't really up my alley. So three, so or so a friend of mine in my grade went with four um, about to be freshmen in college. So like my buddy, John Caveney, his brother, yep. Steve, who Steve comes into the picture again on numerous trips. And so does John. Uh, John and I, as juniors, going to be seniors, went with Steve and three of his friends. Oh, nice. uh, and we did the Missinabi River. Okay. So the Missinabi River was technically the first uh, Trans Canada because we went from Lake Superior to Hudson Bay. Oh, but yeah. really, it's James Bay. It's a cool gotcha. trip. You go up the, um, I forget the name of the river that you go up briefly only for a couple days, and then you dump into the Missinabi watershed, and then you go into okay. James Bay. Um, and then I guided for four years. Um, and then I came back to guide a fifth time for the um, for the copper mine trip, the first co-ed trip for Voyagers. Okay. Um, but in between there too, I did the Back River in 2009, the Hayes Gods in 2010, and then um, the Trans Territorial in 2012, and then the yeah Rediscover in 2015, and then we did the uh, George River in 2018, and then we okay. did the Leaf River last year, so 2019. Nice. You've got some paddle strokes behind you. <laughs> I do. I do. I got a lot of days. Yeah, that's what we were. I think it was, I don't know if we were up in the boundary waters a couple summers ago, but um, my brother and I were talking, like if you had some sort of like little attachment you could put on your on your paddle, like how many strokes do you think that you would like have counted? And so we're like, oh, we probably have a lot. And then we thought like Zach's been on a lot of trips and done a lot of that kind of stuff. And then we're like, okay, well, then we started talking to, Mary guided seven trips and did one. And then you did all of these long, like way longer ones. Like they probably have like millions of paddle strokes. Like it's a lot. <laughs> well, and I think like upstream, especially move like the river moving at the pace that like the 2012 trip. I mean, you're probably like four to one. Yeah. Oh gosh. I didn't think about that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So breaking it down to, um, I think th this podcast will, will kind of, I mean, there's there's so much to unpack there, obviously. So it's, I think it'd be awesome to start with. Do you think that this Rediscover North America one was um, the most like politicized of all of them? Because I know you won an award for um, one of your previous ones, um, but it seemed like there was a little more um, following and publicity for this Rediscover North America one. Is that, am I correct in thinking that? Uh, yeah, so we won Expedition of the Year for the 2012 trip and the 2015 trip. Um, okay. But as far as the trajectory is concerned, when we when we started the 2012 trip, um, we had minor fundraising. Like we had a strong like local support around it, but we didn't have a ton of exposure. Like really any. Okay. Um, we were just like four super naive, like, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe us at that moment, but cause there's some great stories at the beginning of that trip where, I mean, I remember showing up in Skagway and telling people about the trip we were going to start and they were like, Oh, you're going to start a month from now. Cause you know, like the park is closed and we're like, yep. Oh, I guess we should have researched that. <laughs> no, we're starting tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, no. So um we we picked up a bunch of steam at the end of the 2012 trip and okay. that got recognized and then all of the sponsorships and connections were on board you know 18 months before the 2015 trip so yep. once the once the um the momentum got built for that then it was such a bigger product like there were already so many people like on board following yep. along i mean we were running into people like within the first three weeks who had read about us, were looking for us and were excited to like meet us and encourage us on the way. So, and then that was consistent up the whole Mississippi. 
So these routes are obviously incredibly long and just huge undertakings to do. How did you or I guess whoever came up with these routes, like how did they become a thing where you guys actually decided to take these on? Yeah, and so maybe for folks listening to the the 2012 trip went from Alaska um, west to east to Hudson Bay, and that was four and a half months and about 2,700 miles. And then in 2015, the rediscover trip was um, eight months and started in Louisiana and finished in the Arctic Ocean, and that was eight months. Um, The first trip happened, or the first trip came about because we had um, a buddy of mine, Peter Marshall. He and I always like to geek out over routes. And he said that he had like the mother of all routes <laughs> and um, just like wasn't going to tell anybody because said that like he would be like so distraught if somebody took his route and did it. Yep. And, okay. he, you know, he wasn't a part of it. So one night we were chatting about something else and he had too much whiskey to drink and he told me <laughs> the route. Yep. But just like cryptically pieces of it. And then I pieced the rest together and I oh. um, talked to him about a week later and I said, Hey, I got your route. And like, if you want to join in 2012 next year and do it, you can join. Otherwise you can read about it um, when oh. we're done. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. And um, so we started, um, we started recruiting folks. It's pretty, pretty easy with a small group. Like, Steve was on board pretty quickly. And then um, a friend of ours actually, who was going to be the fourth um, had to bow out for personal reasons. And so we picked up uh, Matt Heron pretty quickly. And um, that was the 2012, that was the beginning of the 2012 trip and the the 2015 trip. When that trip was done, um, I was working wilderness therapy. So week on week off, you can also, work for, you know, however long and like come back, you can leave and come back with all of the um, accreditations and like standing that you had. Yep. Yep. So I always had in mind to do another big trip. And um, Peter had a trip with his brother where he went from the boundary waters, like Canadian border to the Arctic ocean. And so I wanted to do some variation of that trip. Um, And then yeah, so I guess the origin for that, for the 2015 trip, uh, my buddy Adam Trigg and I were flying back from Utah to Minnesota to go deer hunting. And we were having, well, again, I guess like there's a theme here. They both involve booze, but um, <laughs> the uh, we were having Bloody Marys on the plane and we were chatting about like different ideas to change Peter's route. And I'm like, you know, what would just be really easy is, is if we did mostly Peter's um Peter's Canadian route, but we just added the Mississippi to it. Why, you know, like, why not? And then Adam's like, yeah, good idea. And then uh, we didn't talk (laughs) about it again for a while, but I was sold. So I started planning that. Um, But I remember so many, I remember waking up, you know, um, I remember waking up with just cold sweats and going back. I was, um, I did the copper mine trip with Les Voyagers to basically get beta on the copper mine river to like see how the the trip finished. Yeah. But I remember the the summer leading up to the copper mine, I would wake up with just like cold sweats because maybe I did the math wrong. Oh. Maybe like maybe it wasn't really feasible to yep. start and like finish this like seasonally and like and like get to the Arctic before winter set in. And so yeah. I would just like measure the miles again i would run all the numbers i would say like how many days can we have off like how many miles we have to push like how far can we get behind like what are reroutes for fires like and i remember doing that several times from like 1 a.m until 6 a.m and falling asleep like over at the shed just like over a workbench trying to (laughs) you know make sure because it was such a huge commitment for everybody like in uh the 2012 trip it didn't seem like the 2012 trip kind of seemed like we were all of an age and a time in our lives when, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, just, <laughs> but we were all we were all a little bit older. Plus, like there was more exposure and more, like the way I saw it, there was a larger audience for a larger potential failure in the 2015 yep. trip. Yep. And so that was a lot of anxiety. But then, I remember on the first day of that trip, a lot of that going away just kind of being happy with like, you know, even if some of these things don't work out and 
you know, worst case scenarios, like we're still out here having a good time and yeah. So. Yeah. So, so did you have a, like a plus or minus days for how long you thought it would take? Um, I thought it was nine months. Okay. So we technically finished a month early. Yep. Um, we also trimmed. So I remember not being a very popular person for the first three or four months. Like we were putting on, we were get we were getting on the water in, you know, Southern Missouri when it was like 15, 20 mile an hour winds, like oh, in our face. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, so like, you know, single digit to teens, the wind chill factors and people yeah. are like, why are we moving? Like, why are we breaking camp and um, just making five miles, you know, like, yeah it would be worthwhile just to sit and rest. Right. And so yeah. I think a lot of those points like had like were valid and probably like in hindsight, like for every, you know, maybe like a third to a quarter of those days where we pushed, like it would have been better just to rest and like wait it out and wait gotcha. for better conditions. But yep. the, the fear of like not knowing like what the consequences could be um, just kind of outweighed that. So we always voted. So on both trips, anybody could veto any um, decision based on like physical, personal safety, yep, but yep. everything that was logistical and still like people were comfortable with was just like uh, voted on. And we had even numbers both times. So if there were ties, we flipped a coin okay. for every <laughs> single. And I, yep. I think, uh, I think Dan and John were, I think I won like eight coin flips in a row. Like I happened to be on the right, on the, on like the side that won. And I think Dan and John were on like the wrong side of like the first eight coin flips. Yeah. So oh I was gosh. living pretty, I was living pretty large. I was going to make some bets on the bikes and, or some bets on the bikes and some other, like maybe buy some lottery tickets, but. There you go. So, so not to get too hung up on like the, the whole logistical side, cause I'm sure that's like, the, we could talk about that for two hours, but what was the hardest thing logistically? Was it like the food or was it like, like you said, there's like planning over the routes and making sure like the numbers were working or what, like, was there one thing that was a little bit tougher than all the rest? For the 2015 trip? Yep. Yep. Uh, the hardest thing logistically was, um, yeah, just extrapolating upstream numbers over such a large period of time. Like it was so hard to know. Because I remember too, you know, not every river mile is created equal, even on like a topographical map, like the Mississippi River is its own thing because it's, um, it's almost anthropogenic in a way because the Army Corps of Engineers has like changed the river and like yeah. um, altered it to the point that like with the wing dikes, you never know, they're on the map, but you never know what kind of current you're going to anticipate like coming gotcha. through or like how you're going to navigate those. And sometimes it took no longer than what would have been conventional pad paddling. And sometimes it took like 10 times as long to like hike over the, the wing dikes cause you couldn't paddle out. So yeah, um, it was really just planning for the unknown on the upstream part of the Mississippi. And like, you know, if you, if you made it too far too quickly, you'd hit, you know, really tough winter conditions. Right. And if you were yeah. slow and way too far behind, you'd be rushing through Canada so fast that like, you're going to like really not enjoy yourselves at all. Yeah. So I think that was the hardest part, just like hitting that perfect um, sweet spot of like challenge and enjoyment um, yeah. and sustainability, right? Like all those yeah. things together. Um, and then really quarterbacking other, it too was difficult. Was there any other, was this the first time anybody's ever gone from Gulf to Arctic ocean in, in canoes? Was this the first trip like this? Nope. Um, I always forget his name because I'm, I wish I could live better vicariously through people. If that makes okay. sense. Like yep. I'm always like, it's kind of like with skiing. Like if somebody goes out and it's a powder day, but I didn't go and they tell me about it in my mind, it's like, it was a horrible day. I don't care. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't care about your day. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm happy having done what I did, but if I yeah. go, it was the best day. Gotcha. Uh, Will Steger, that's the name. So Will okay. Steger, because yep. um, Peter always, you know, he always chastises me on my, <laughs> um, for being a, you know, a, a practice historian for so many years, he always chides me that I'm not very, 
Like I don't keep very good track of the other people who've done cool things. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go do them selfishly myself. Uh, no, but no, no, Will Steger is a, a canoeing legend and has done that trip in many versions of the Canadian route um, okay. several times and has done them like so much faster, <laughs> so much <Yeah>. more early. <laughs> um, you know, if you look up his, some of the stuff that he was doing, um, pretty incredible. So, um, yeah. you know, when I was in that kind of shape, I would have, I would have been able to like, I would have liked to have tried to emulate them, but I, I didn't have the time or the passion obviously that he did, but. Yeah. Um, so what would you say? I mean, it just seems like it seems like you're the time it went from you thinking about the, like this trip to actually like just committing to it. Didn't seem like it. What was there a lot of, like, did you put a lot of forethought into it or were you pretty sold kind of right from the, right from the start? Um, I, I'm always scheming. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many times that you know, we'll be chatting with folks and they'll ask, um, do you have any trips planned? And Mary's like, no. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I got like five. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you, how much just, time? You I got? just need the time. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Cool. Um, so I'm always scheming, always trying to figure out like how to get that time, um, away. And the last two trips actually worked really well, even just like dovetailed into work. Um, but no, I, I don't, I guess the best way to put it is I, you know, you can't take anything with you and yep. um, you might as well leave it all on the field and nobody's going to look back and think like, man, I really wish I had worked more or done more of the mundane menial things. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's, and, that's kind of how I stack so, things up. Yeah. So big picture. I know I, so I, w I was watching a lot of your guys' uh, stuff on YouTube last night and, um, Dan talked about kind of a lot of the cool people that you guys met on this trip. Um, and he said that was kind of his favorite thing was just all the different people that you met kind of going up. Um, especially through the U S I would assume that there's probably a little bit more of a, uh, of a following, especially along the Mississippi in the U S than maybe when you got into Canada and we're a little bit more remote. Um, the one question I did have is uh, the Mississippi river angels. Is that a, is that a thing? Like those from what I, are those just a group of people who anybody who's coming up the Mississippi, they kind of live around there and they're willing to help? Or was that something specific just to your trip? No, there, I mean, there's a very organized and dedicated crew of people who, um, from, you know, I'm trying to think, uh, trying to think of that far. We, we didn't end up seeing some of these people, but you know, from little falls on down all the way through, yeah. there are folks that, you know, have houses on the Mississippi or camps and just get a ton of joy, just helping people on their way down and hearing the stories and yeah. um, some like not dedicate their personhood to it, I guess I would say, but you know, Dale Sanders comes to mind where he's got an entire stairwell, like wall on both sides, just dedicated to everybody coming down the Mississippi, big okay. or small, like whatever yeah. the trip is. Um, and even some of the people who didn't know they were river angels, but ended up being river angels. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, like I remember uh, this guy, John Denton, um, when we were in uh, Mississippi, I think it was, but we just met randomly. Like he was at his hunting camp and we were technically trespassing, but the two <laughs> Iowa boys and I were just like walking roads to like find potable water and yep. like, you know, looked homeless. Um, <laughs> like, and we were just knocking on doors on this, like the, the, the Southern like hunting camps are, are their own thing. We could talk about those for a while, but, but he was the only person there at the time. And we're just knocking on doors and he just like, I won't use all the obscenities that he used, but he kind of looks out his door and is like, Hey, what are y'all doing? <laughs> like, ah, we're, we're paddling up the Mississippi and we're stopped for the day and we're looking for water. And he's just like, that is the, Dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Come inside. I'll make you a sandwich, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> and just like the strangest way to start a relationship, because I remember him, like he wasn't upset, but he was like worked up, and so he yeah. was like going from the fridge and like making us sandwiches. <laughs> he would like shake his head and look over. He's like, "So tell me again," and we would tell him what we're doing, and yep, yep. He's like aggressively putting on mayo and mustard and just shaking his head, shaking his head, just like God, that is just 
Stop. <laughs> go back to making, go back to making sandwiches. And he's like, where are your other friends? And they're like, well, you told me, told me where they were. And then um, we actually got him to scare one of our buddies, uh, John, who was in the tent yeah. sleeping. And he like rolled up with a shotgun in his truck <laughs> and no, no, started dude. screaming at him that he, that he was trespassing, that he was going to kill him. And <laughs> John freaked out. And pretty good stuff. But anyway, so, the topic yeah. was River Angels. Um, but yeah, so, so many great folks. Uh, some impromptu, some unique to the trip insofar that like they just lived on the Mississippi and they happened to be um, where we were approximately when we were trying to like look for camp. Um, Dick Kish was another guy in Wisconsin, same thing. Like they were doing their um, annual um, mapling. So they were just like boiling down maple syrup and like what a perfect place to land on. Like this like cool little (laughs) cabin on the Wisconsin side of the Mississippi and they're like, making sauerkraut brats and oh, boiling down dude. maple syrup and just like drinking spotted cow. So it was like the perfect, yeah. Just like couldn't imagine landing anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and then we wanted to, or initially he was like, yeah, you should stay tomorrow. And um, cause we're going to keep doing the same thing and you know, you probably need some rest. And then I remember getting up the next day and he's like, you know what? He's like, I changed my mind. He's like, you need to get the hell out of here. Cause you're not going to get to where you're going just like oh. sitting here and drinking beer with us. So he's like, yeah. you should go. Yeah. And he's like, I mean that with all kindness, but he's like, yeah. get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> get to where you're going. Yeah. So, so do you remember how many, um, like resupplies of food you guys had to do? Cause obviously you can't carry enough food for that, that, yeah, that long of a trip. <laughs> so do you remember kind of how many resupplies you had and kind of how you worked that out logistically so that you had the food when you needed it kind of throughout your route? Uh, 16 was the magic number. Okay. Uh, the Mississippi, I just went on Facebook and went to the Mississippi river angel group. And I just introduced myself and I said, we need somebody in Vicksburg, Memphis, um, Vicksburg, Memphis, um, Cape Girardeau, uh, St. Louis and um oh why am i blanking on it um across okay so some of them we got strangers to do it um others we got like uh family or friends to come down and do it we had a couple folks um dan and jared both had uh girlfriends during the trip so they came to st louis um with our stuff and then um, we had friends from Kansas bring our stuff to Cape Girardeau, but we also had to rely on strangers in Memphis and um, Vicksburg. So it was cool. It was just like, hey, yeah. so uh, when the when the caravan drove down to start the trip, I wasn't a part of it, but they dropped all the food for the Mississippi River resupplies. Yep. So like meeting these people for the first time, it's like, yeah. hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, here's a bunch of stuff and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and then my parents actually did most of the Canadian resupplies. They, um, being semi-retired and big into the uh, camper life, just yeah. brought their RV and just followed us through Canada. And we're just like... Um, yeah, just like boosting the whole way, just trying to like <laughs> make people aware of the trip and tell everybody yep. about it. It was pretty, it was pretty embarrassing sometimes, but because every time we would just like go to a bar, like go out to eat, as soon as you know somebody came and was working with us, they'd be like, "Do you know who these people are?" I'd be like, "No, why would I know what?" It's like. Ah too bad but they and just like go off and we're all just like oh my god please yeah <laughs> please make this stop and then uh and then we would get like pretty you know snide just like food or drinks would get brought just like here you go celebrities and then yeah, <laughs> yeah i'm sure <laughs> like thanks a so, lot patty and steve <laughs> so as far as kind of going back i know you were talking about um just kind of pulling pranks on john and that kind of stuff how was the the dynamic of you six, because I know um, kind of reading or watching your guys' documentary, um, it was, was it four, four guys from Cathedral, right? And then um, two other guys yep. from Iowa. Um, yep. How, 
was it, and we, we kind of talked, actually we talked about this with Mary a lot too, about how like each crew is different, like each trip you go on. Um, not that you're supposed to have favorite crews or favorite whatever, um, but just different in their own way. And obviously like Zach, you were talking about how it's like, it's not even that they're better or worse, but just, it's just, it's just different. Like Zach did a route up in Canada that no, he doesn't think anybody's ever done before. And compared to like, I mean, especially with you, like all of your trips being pretty unique. Um, how did the, like, I guess the crew dynamic with you six kind of compare to the past previous expeditions? Well, just because of the scale, right? So yeah. whenever I just, whenever I differentiate the trips, um, the 2015 trip was like an interpersonal marathon. Okay. Um, where, where, whereas the, like the 2012 trip was more of just like, uh, like a sprint, like an anxious sprint. Yeah. Um, and so we knew going in that the biggest challenge probably to the eight month trip was really just going to be working together for that length of time. And, yeah, you know, if, if everything goes right interpersonally, my theory was that like, if you, if you get the interpersonal, right, you're going to finish the trip. Um, gotcha. and so it was such a big, and, and we'd done so many trips already. Like, you know, I'd already done, you know, John was on my first year Voyager trip. He was on the Hayes God. Um, Adam was on the Hayes Gods and the Back River trip. Like so many of us had already traveled or like worked together in such a capacity that we all knew that it was just going to take like honesty, like value driven conversations, which, you know, for most people, um, listening here and like, you know, we might talk about at some point, you know, like what, what can get people out into the like wilderness, like doing these kind of trips. Like the first thing is just like being okay with like, moving forward, even if it's stumbling. And yeah. the second part is um, just having really value-driven conversations with the people you're going to head out with because um, the biggest, really 90% of failure is because people can't work together or people can't yeah. work things out. Um, it really typically isn't insurmountable things that like pop up in the course of a trip. Like certainly forest fires happen and, you know, boats get, um, boats get broached and broken in half. Like those things do happen. But most of the time, if you, if you look at a lot of the trips, like historically um, that really aren't working out, it's because 90% of the time I would say it's interpersonal dynamics, not working out. Yeah. And then um, again, like, I guess I don't know the exact breakdown, but that to me is like the biggest, the biggest factor in like whether things are going to work or not. Yeah. So was there, was there any point throughout the 2015 trip, you were just going to North America one that um, you guys almost reached a couple breaking points or was it, was it pretty smooth the whole way? I, I mean, smooth is a bad uh, word because I'm sure it wasn't like smooth, but. <laughs> yeah. There, there was, there were some times that, you know, there, there was definitely like a referee role and that okay. there were like, I wouldn't want to say combatants, but like yeah. there would be a spat and there would, but there was never, I think what was nice is that there was just never an issue that embroiled everybody at one time. Usually if something happened, um, you know, a few people would get worked up on different ends, but there was at least one or two people to kind of say like, Hey, like I get this and like, go to your corner, go to your corner. Like <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll stop for the day and we'll revisit this tomorrow. Like, yeah. and everybody having either worked wilderness therapy or like traveled extensively. So like the five of us, so the four Minnesotans and Jared that worked with wilderness therapy for over a year, me oh. several years. Okay. Um, and then Jared knew Luke really well and had grown up together. So yeah. there was that relationship there. So, there was always a string um, at some point, like some kind of connection between people. Yeah. And so we always brought it back. Um, but I can't think of anything that did more than just like maybe a day or, yeah, yeah I think like a day of just like silence. Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got, any, got anywhere. I think when we left, when we left Fort McMurray, I don't think Adam spoke for a day. Okay. And that was like the longest I remember there being like an issue. Yeah. Like, and you just got to let them have through. that too. Yeah. 
Like yeah. that, that's just one of yeah. those things that you, like you're not going to press because just give them their time. How did and you guys I, do? And yeah. I'll admit, I'll admit here in case he listens that like he was totally in the right to be upset. <laughs> oh, yeah, there, yeah. Let the record so, show. <laughs> so I, I, I definitely want to admit that like he, he should have not spoken for a day. Okay. There uh, you go. <laughs> so. How did you guys do um, like canoe partners, paddle partners and tent partners throughout the trip? Uh, tent partners rotated on a, like, so you were just with, you, you went pretty much in the same order all the way through, but it was, well, actually, I guess the more that I think about it, we rotated, but it was, it was kind of casual. So when you got into camp, like if it'd been four days or even a couple days since I'd like camped with John, I'd be like, John, you want to put up a tent? Yeah. Like I, I did really actually enjoy the organic nature of that where it wasn't like rhythmic um, okay. yep. because what did end up happening is that Luke and Jared shared a pack, Adam and Dan shared a pack and John and I each had a pack. So I would say okay. that the people who packed together, it was just really convenient for them. So um, I would say that the people who packed together, so then like John and me having separate packs, we probably like, in every given rotation probably like doubled or tripled up because it was just really convenient yeah, um, but yeah. at the same time you know it's important to like check in with everybody and like spend that time together um, at least like every fifth or fourth or sixth day whatever it was yep um paddling partners so dan or john adam and i were always stern and then dan luke and jared were always bow and then okay. the bowmen rotated to the sterns then Okay. Um, and then when we did whitewater, we had whitewater partners. Okay. You guys must've talked about everything under the sun over the course of eight months <laughs> in a canoe together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny too, cause <clears throat> you know, it was, we, we did the, the bow to stern rotation pretty religiously, except for in Canada when we had more whitewater, but it was always fun to like, it was like you'd be revisiting. Like, okay, so when we left off two days ago, come back. What have your thoughts been since then? Yeah. Do you still think you want to live back in Iowa? Like, yeah. um, that was always fun to track. But there were definitely themes to like your conversations. Um, and yeah, yeah. So like, there was even there was less diversity to arguably the most time-consuming part of the day. Yeah. So you know, I remember Dan and I talked most about documentary stuff and um just like all because so much through the trip like we were making these um canoeing or canoeing kayak updates for their website so typically dan and i talked a lot of shop because every resupply we would do one of those um so we'd either be talking about the one we did before or the one that's coming next or the documentary um yeah and so I don't remember exactly like what, if there was a theme to Jared or a theme to Luke now that I think about it, but yeah, I'd have to think about it, but not off the top of my head. Yeah. So you guys obviously made a documentary about it and we can maybe talk at the end about where people can watch that. Um, did you guys kind of know going into it that that was something that you wanted to do or how soon kind of beforehand did you realize that you wanted to make some type of documentary about it? And then I guess, have any of you guys thought about like making it a book or writing it out kind of in a similar way as well? We, so when we were recruiting people for the 2015 trip, and I say we to say like Adam and me, yeah. um, we already had a position set aside for whoever was going to carry the heavy load of the documentary because the documentary is what we promised. You know, a lot of our sponsors, I mean, like Hilleberg <clears throat> gave us, you know, four grand in tents basically right like yeah. granite gear gave us you know 1500 bucks in packs like a lot of money to throw at people just to go do a trip so the production value um at least of a documentary um you know headlining um the outdoor gear expo in utah and the canoe and kayak awards like that was kind of our way to give back and yeah. so i would say yeah even at the beginning of the trip we knew like the beginning of the formation of the trip, we knew that there was going to be a documentary. Uh, Luke is still working on a, uh, a manuscript for a book. Um, I actually spoke with him recently about it. 
we stopped paying our website fee. Not like like we owed, but we stopped renewing the Rediscover mm-hmm. website fee. Um, and I I haven't been very good about it. Um, but in the in the next few months, we're gonna get everything over just to like the free Facebook page. Um, yeah. But uh, so there there was a website as of like a few weeks ago, um, but there is not one now. <laughs> and uh, which was the primary place to find the documentary because we actually sold the distribution rights to a, a French company, okay, um, who was selling it in like mongolia and brazil (laughs) (laughs) and then would give us like 20 percent of the proceeds um which i always thought was really funny because then well then i had to um like a year ago they said like we finally started getting complaints because we show your film in english but there are no subtitles and i was like yeah i didn't sell you like a film with subtitles (laughs) and so uh well they were like well either you do the subtitles or like we have to pay. And like in the contract you sign, like you have to pay. And it was going to be like 1500 bucks. And I was like, no. So, but then I had to painstakingly watch the documentary um, and do all the subtitles. And I got really, because I also narrate the 2015 trip. I got really sick of my own voice Um, (laughs) real, real fast. So that like in Mongolia, they could watch English subtitles, but I'm like, if they can't speak English, why they're not reading English. So, yeah I'd, anyway huh. that was very tangential but uh yeah, it'd be cool i would love to see luke's book um i don't know exactly where it's at um chronologically but uh it's you know 2021 20, now yeah um i mean i would love just a big fat because like luke was great about taking tons of notes so i stopped okay. i stopped journaling like my third year guiding because okay. I went back and I read what I wrote and I'm just like, why, why did you write that? And then I thought <laughs> about the time that I spent journaling and I just stopped. So I haven't journaled um, on trail since like 20, I don't know, 20, 2007, 2008. Okay. So I guess um, that, that kind of wondering, or I was just kind of wondering how, cause like going through watching just some of the stuff that you do have up on YouTube uh, maybe think made me think about kind of all the the downtime that you probably have on trips like some of these trips um, or just longer expeditions. What did you guys kind of fill? Did everybody kind of have their own unique thing to fill the downtime with, or was there a lot of like obviously cribbage and cards and that kind of stuff like between everybody, or was, did people kind of do their own stuff? Uh, and that's that's probably the biggest difference. And like people who do personal trips with me now have have picked up on like I. I don't have a relaxed gear anymore. So <laughs> like we would, we would get up and actually I'm thinking of the 2012 trip here too, but like the 20, the 2012 trip was its own beast because of how far we got behind and like what we had to do to compensate. But oh, yeah. like we, like if you get up at like five thirty or six every day and you like just straight up paddle for 10 11 hours a day the only thing that you want to do is just like cook a good enough meal to be able to eat it and (laughs) clean up and immediately go to bed (laughs) i remember i remember lying there feeling so bad for the people with significant others because they would have to spend another 40 minutes on the phone yeah and i'm lying there and i'm like i can't keep i can't keep my eyes open like how are you maintaining a relationship like so tired and mid-thought i would fall asleep yeah and then i would wake up five minutes before my alarm and every time think like please tell me i have two hours and i would have two minutes yeah and like i would just before i could even think about it i would deflate my pad so i didn't have a second to like think twice yeah, yeah. And the day would start again. So, um, but I think it would be disingenuous to suggest that we didn't have any downtime. Um, I read the the Wheel of Time series, which is like my favorite, um, like high sci-fi fantasy, like high, okay. high fantasy sci-fi uh, book yep. series. Um, so I read a lot. Um, but I remember on the Mississippi and even some Canadian spots, like when when we were wind or cold bound we would just like walk into town and we would find like a bar restaurant and just like shoot the shit and just try and like see what we could um but yeah i'm trying to think 
what other people we didn't we didn't play a ton of cards um no. because the game that we always play is 500 but yeah. only three of us knew how to play which is like <laughs> the most imperfect number for 500 yeah. <laughs> and all of us are so far beyond like wanting to teach new people to play 500 it's it's yeah. it's unbearable like <laughs> like where where we're at with yeah. that game um the only card game i think that we played was hearts but we just didn't play a ton of cards like yeah um when we were in canada it was like mostly fishing. So we would spend all of our free time fishing and then cleaning and then eating and then like hibernating from <laughs> fish comas. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, I think we were, you know, there are different styles of personality on the trip and like John, especially Dan, um, Luke and Jared, probably third and fourth, but like, they're super social creatures. So anytime that we had um, any type of exposure or folks wanting to like hang out and take us in, you know, they were always the first people who wanted to do it. And I usually just wanted to like read in my crazy Creek and just yeah. kind of like in the, in the like triple T if we, if the bugs were bad and outside of it, which the bugs weren't really that bad in 2015 because of all the fires um, oh. so in Canada, we didn't have a ton of bad bug days. Um, but no, downtime was uh was still pretty sparse, but like I said, in Canada it was almost all fishing. It's all yeah, we did. Nice, nice. So you've obviously been on multiple multi-month trips. Do you think you had ever considered doing, or maybe you already have some things scheming, <laughs> um, some more multi-month trips? Or I guess what would be kind of like your maximum length now? I don't know if the the eight-month trip was kind of enough to call it kind of quits on some of those longer trips. Um but just kind of curious what your, I guess, maximum length trip would be now that you've experienced something so long. Whew, I don't think I have a max. <clears throat> I mean, if I got paid to do it, man, that'd be a, that'd be a sweet gig. But uh, no, I actually remember, I, I take that back. I, I, as much as I love those trips, like I recently just like locked myself up in the living room and watched true detective you know what i mean like i love that just as much yeah um so yeah because i remember reading about a um actually a couple who did a year in the boundary waters and i i have to trust my gut that when i first heard about that i was like man that's boring <laughs> and and that's not because the boundary waters are boring i'm just saying yeah. like one other person for a whole year i just i just yeah. thought that was boring um, yeah. So clearly I have a limit, um, Zach, which That's is a good point. I, I think, I think 35 to 42 days is really the, the best length of the trip. The, the Leaf River trip we did last year is actually one of my favorite um, layouts for a trip. You, yeah. you, have a, you have a fairly manageable drive. You have a short flight, um, a, a short commercial flight in. You know, we did 160 miles of flat water on Hudson Bay, which is actually like low key, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. Um, yes. If you're ever planning trips, like just paddle the Hudson Bay coast for like four weeks, you won't yeah. regret it. Dang. And then <clears throat> some challenging like portages overland and then lake hopping and then downstream. But that was like a 34 day trip, um, yeah. you know, like 500 just short of 600 miles, like perfect diversity. Um, great. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I would say like 35, 42. I remember the back river trip was longer. That was in the fifties. But would you, would you kind of agree that it, it kind of takes you a, a week or two to kind of get in that, in that zone or, um, do you kind of appreciate some of those just like a, like a long weekend up in the woods too? I can articulate. So, the with the zone part it's actually yeah. <laughs> i just we'll go out for an overnight at waterbury reservoir right and the next day when we're unpacking and cleaning everything i'm just like it's the same marginal value like we do the same amount of cleaning after a 30-day trip yeah <laughs> the same because i'm just like so over the top with like everything's got to be so clean dried put away so really the only like not the only. So pretty much like Bo is our golden doodle 
year and a half year old dog, I pretty much just like put up with those overnight trips just for him because I just okay. love to watch him like go out and hang out and like play yeah, in the yeah. water. <laughs> Not that Mary and I haven't done like shorter trips before, but yeah, yeah. You know, I was actually talking to my boss today just about how, you know, this it'll it'll have been two summers now. Um because we're getting married this coming July, so we're not going to be able to paddle. And I just, I feel, I feel the shorter, I, like other people don't notice it, but like my fuse is shorter. Um, my entitlement grows. There's just like, yeah. there's just these small noticeable qualities of myself that I, I start to notice okay. as a year goes by, two years go by without being able yeah. to, um, like get out for that Just length of time reset. because it's such a refresh. Like, you know, you probably both know this feeling like when you get back from the trip and like you go into a grocery store for the first time and you're just yeah. like blown away that like literally anything that I want from like anywhere in the world yeah. is right here. It's yeah. like, it's hygienically packed. <laughs> it's not perishable. I don't yeah. have to do, you know what I mean? Like I can have literally whatever I want. Yeah. Um, and you're just like, and you're blown away. Same thing. I go to the post office and I give them a stamped envelope and I'm like, you are going to take this across the country in like two yeah. days and deliver yeah. it to whoever I write on it. Yeah. <laughs> like, do, you, do you understand how like beautiful that is? And like yeah. how, like you're doing such a huge task for so little, yep. just like everything blows me away when I get back for like a yeah. month. Yeah. And my then biggest... it slowly wanes over time. And now I get pissed off when, you know, like my phone loses reception. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. My, or like I, thing... my phone won't connect to my car via Bluetooth and I just like slam it on the dash. <laughs> and I, like, I come to in a moment of clarity and I'm like, you need to go on trail for a month and then yeah. <laughs> come back. And then again, you'll be blown away that this, like, this computer in your hand connects to your car yeah. and knows intuitively when to ring you when someone's trying to call you from across the country you know what i mean yeah. like yeah it's yeah. those things that we just take for granted all the time so kind of leading off of that just kind of wrap um and obviously there's we could talk about the all these trips forever but um just as far as looking back on that 2015 trip maybe like what what your favorite, if you had to boil it down to one thing, what your favorite part about doing that whole trip looking back was. And then, um, I mean, especially when you have a podcast about how awesome the outdoors are and you go on all these trips and have talked to so many people about it, like maybe just to kind of flip it a little bit, what, what was like the worst thing about, about being on like the expedition for eight months? Like what was like the worst part about it? And then what was, what was your favorite thing? Oh, so this is specifically though the 2015. Yeah, yeah. The worst thing about long trips. Yeah, the 2015. Yep. Oh boy, the worst thing about <laughs> the 2015 trip. Um, oh man, that is that is a smart thing to do to flip it because everybody's got so many like yeah. great things. You know, I'm also. Um, I'm closer to a pragmatist, but if I, if you had to put me on the optimist to, pe to pessimist spectrum, I'm very much the optimist. Okay. So, I mean, we could be sinking in quicksand and I would say like, well, at least we're getting, you know, our skin exfoliated. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm probably a bad person to ask when it comes to the worst thing, but, um, or maybe, maybe like, a, uh, um, not, not even like the worst thing, but a, um, like maybe a regret that you had from like from the trip, like there because we do we go up on a, a fishing trip up with actually yeah, the Spethmans, um, and then the Fritzes and the the Schmitz. My family we go up on a just a week long fishing trip every summer. Um, oh, I, I've, it, I've heard all about these trips. Yeah, they sound pretty spectacular. Yeah, and at the at the end, actually, maybe once you get in the family, then we'll see up there. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, we always do a, like a roses, buds, and thorns. And I don't know if you follow Peter, Peter and Abby's um, blog. They kind of that roses, buds, and thorns kind of stuff. And um, yeah, that's, honestly, every time we do it up there, it's it's really hard to come. I'm I'm kind of on the same spectrum as you. It's really hard to when you're in 
that kind of place with those kind of people doing that kind of stuff, it's really hard to come up with like things that you're not enjoying about it. And even like, I mean, you could say, okay, yeah, the bugs aren't fun. Um, I got sunburned and didn't drink enough water. So I was hallucinating for half of the day. Um, but like, it's really hard to come up with some stuff that, cause you, cause you wouldn't trade any of you wouldn't, it kind of almost makes the trip what the trip is. Um, some of that stuff, that's not as much fun, like the bugs and, um, just getting up and grinding 10, 11 hour paddles a day. Um, so we'll just leave that as that. And what would you say is if you could, do you think you could pick your favorite part of that, of that 2015 trip? You know, I, I can think of, <laughs> this may not be the, the exact one, but I do remember this day when we were paddling, um, <clears throat> I want to say it was, <clears throat> I want to say we were paddling up the Churchill River, but which is actually like, <clears throat> it's got some big rapids. Um, but once you, it's very like drop pool, the, the river is. So once you get up onto the lakes, um, the, so the, the, um, <clears throat> sorry, I'll scratch my throat. <laughs> so basically like, if the river is losing like three feet a mile, it loses like 30 feet at a time. And then it gets back into oh. more like a tranquil flow. Yeah. But I remember going through one of the chain of lakes on the Churchill river and we had stopped for lunch and like caught all these fish and like cleaned the fish. And we were going past the, this like Island chain and it was like the most beautiful, almost like Caribbean feel. And like we paddled through these like, really bare, but like super flat with like some trees that would be like perfect for tarps. And like, um, I just, don't, I don't know how to describe it. It was almost like waist, um, waist deep, like reef shelf on okay. the, on the Island. Yep. Just you, unique. Just, yeah. And we stopped and Adam was like, I know that we still have like four or five hours of like great weather and like time to move today. But he's like, I really feel like we should camp here because this is probably the most beautiful spot like I've seen. Yeah. And I remember like looking around and like agreeing with him, but saying like, I don't care. I want to keep going <laughs> and just kind of like selling some other people. And yeah. I remember the look on his face like looking at me, it wasn't like daggers and it wasn't like sad puppy. It was, it was the blend of those two <laughs> okay. together. Oh, that's like worse. Like, some, like someday I'm going to, like someday something's going to mean something to you and I'm going to take it away from you. <laughs> oh, no. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I'm, and in my mind, I'm like, I don't care. Like, you know, Good luck finding something like that, Adam, yeah. and taking it away from me successfully. <laughs> but I remember turning though, like as we paddled away and like looking back, kind of being like, oh, pretty cool spot though. <laughs> I would say one of my biggest regrets is one, doing that to Adam, and two, not camping there. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, that's uh and I feel like it's it's a lot easier to think of that, obviously in hindsight, just like as you kind of look back and um I mean, I know even um, in the little YouTube clip, I did see how you were saying, like when we finally got to the Arctic Ocean and we kind of got to our, our destination point, obviously we were pumped and we were like all celebrating and stuff. And then it was like 30 minutes later, we were packing up our stuff and getting ready to, to head out. Like it was just that quick. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that was a kind of funny piece too, though, because um, so we either had to leave in like three hours or we had to stay there for like three days okay. <laughs> and, and we had, um, and we had close friends in Yellowknife that we'd gotten to know pretty well. And okay. if you've been to Kagluktuk and you've been to Yellowknife, you'd much rather stay in Yellowknife. Let me push okay. that. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, that's awesome. Well, well Winchell, we, um, we appreciate you making the time tonight. I know you're, you guys are an hour ahead of us, so, um, we'll kind of wrap it up here, but we, I mean, I'm, I'm super interested in hearing about your wilderness therapy stuff. I feel like that would just be a perfect, um, I feel like there'd be a lot of good insights from that kind of work. Um, just from being so passionate about the outdoors and I can't imagine what it would, how that dynamic would work with people who are almost like, it's not their first choice to be like, they're not choosing to, to do that kind of stuff. And in, in maybe some cases, but, 
Um, then obviously all of your other expeditions. So we would definitely love to have you on again. Um, if it works, um, we're able to, uh, where I guess could people find some more information about this 2015 rediscover North America trip? If they just Google or rediscover North America, will they be able to kind of find some of those articles as well as maybe that documentary that you guys put on YouTube or what would be the best way to kind of find some of that stuff? Uh, do you do like show notes for the podcast? Yeah, I think that's an option. Otherwise, we have an Instagram, so that we we put all that stuff in there. Yep. The only issue is that so our it's so the documentary is free on YouTube, but it's unlisted because we're technically like with this company who distributes the documentary. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and it used to be a link on the do, or on the web page, but now it's on the web page. So, um, it's actually kind of hard to find. Um, but I can give you the link, you know, if you, if you search around on YouTube for rediscover North America, the trailer is on there. And then once you watch the trailer, it says that you might like this because it's also by the same, um, same company. So, um, but then the 2012 trip is on, uh, Vimeo and that's 2,600 above 60. Okay. And, um, and like I said, most of this stuff will come over from, the old website to Facebook here in the next like month or so, as soon as I get cool. to it. But yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I'm trying to figure out a way to get the blog um, over to Facebook, but I don't know how to share it. Cause it's just so long. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Well, and we'll definitely um, put, we'll just get that information from you and put it on all this, our platforms that we have. And then if people want to get, get that way, then they, they for sure can, but um, awesome. Well, Winchell, we appreciate you taking the time and hopefully we'll kind of keep in touch and, uh, do this again sometime. Yeah. Thanks, Winchell. Yeah. The, the 2012 trip is a hoot. Um, yeah. so if we, <laughs> if we hop back on, that's a good one too. Um, and yeah, no, I'd be excited to join you whenever you want. All right. Thanks Winchell. We'll, uh, we'll keep in touch. All right. See you guys. Thanks for tuning into the Voyager way podcast. Follow us on social media at the Voyager way for more content from all our outdoor adventures and plenty of how-to videos to get you started on some adventures of your own.